Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. We are part of Uncanny Treks as well. However, today we're not talking about Babylon 5 or Young Justice or X-Men or even Star Trek DS9. We're just talking about Star Trek Picard, specifically Season 2, Episode 2, Penance. Matt, what do you think of this episode? Um... There was a lot going on in this episode, <laughs> and a lot to unpack. I think uh, I, I'm i still a little on the fence like I was in the last episode. Not quite sold on it yet, but this is turning out... I feel like this is turning out to be better than Season 1, but I'm not quite comfortable saying that just yet. So... I guess I would. I, I have very similar uh, opinion to you. I think. I think I'm a little more positive now about the first two episodes, but I would say I have. After we saw where season one went, I just have no faith in their ability to stick the landing. So right. I'm just going to try to enjoy the ride and you know enjoy the pleasures that come on the way. But if if we get to the end of the season and I think like the wrap up of the season was actually good, like I might eat part of my shoe. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm hoping they can get there but i i just i don't know just yet and i'm not ready to make that that decision yeah but i i totally agree with you that this so far the build-up to this season even though it's doing several things i really don't like it's a much stronger more interesting start than the start of picard season one yeah so this episode starts off bob with q and picard going back and forth with each other and a lot of weird quotes and weird dialogue from both actors. Yeah, so Q's never been, like, he never breaks the fourth wall or makes, like, meta references, right? Like, that's not... No, he never has. Yeah, no. okay. Yeah, because he, he goes pretty early, like, for a meta reference to the famous Yesterday's Enterprise episode of Next Generation, which was just like, why are you doing this? Like... He was supposed to be God. He's not supposed to be Deadpool. Yeah, it made me throw up my mouth a little. I was like, really? Like, let's not start this shit. Like, let's not, <laughs> let's not go into that. But, yeah. It did make that little thing in my brain, though. When he said yesterday's Enterprise, though, did your brain just do that little thing where it was like, oh, yeah, I know that. Like, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like, the little, little deal. Yeah, but the... Re- the revulsion at the at making Q meta was stronger than the pleasure of recognition. Although right. I guess it is worth saying that 
I, I I didn't pick up on this till I was really thinking about it now that and maybe this was obvious is that you do see a much more militaristic federation in yesterday's enterprise although it doesn't seem to be anywhere near as fascist as the the you know the confederation you see uh in picard season two right just the dialogue itself is is rough uh just some some little some lines from this bob that i just wanted to read yeah, out and, i am but a suture in your wound you are the board upon which the game is played. I really wanted to see Jean-Luc Picard, so I simply sought out the nearest explosion. It's Jean. 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 I say Jean. Jean. Sorry, Bob. Jean. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not in Lafayette, Georgia, Matt. You're probably I, 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 I may as well be in Lafayette, Georgia, Bob. This is like, yeah, that, that's what it sounds like in the South. I like Jean-Luc Picard. He's my favorite. <laughs> I really wish they'd spell his name right, though. It's with a K-E. What the hell is that doing there? <laughs> We're both bald. That's why I like him. <laughs> I do wish he put a little more weight on to be more relatable. Yeah. <laughs> did it, uh... But did it feel like Picard's responses, like, seemed to repeat to you? Like, that... I, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. But now that you've pointed it out, you're right that it's very... His, it's the same theme and like I don't, I feel like Q has always been a little bit enigmatic, especially like you know they're really going for Q in the in the next generation uh, pilot and the next generation finale here, um, encounter at Farpoint and all good things. But I I don't think he was ever like so threatening, even if he was enigmatic. He wasn't. He usually wasn't so directly threatening. I don't know. It's just a weird dynamic. I don't think they're. I think John Delancey is doing a fun job, like hamming it up, but the yeah. dialogue is really bad. And just for the listeners, like some of the things uh, Jean-Luc Picard says, he says, I'm too old for your bullshit. Then I'm tired of playing your games. And he says, I've had enough of your patronizing. It's like, <laughs> like it's the same thing. He just, he just keeps saying stuff like that. And yeah. It, it just didn't seem right. One one thing I did like from the uh, Q performance is that Q uh, uh, has learned from Cisco, who famously uh, punches him in Q's appearance on DS Nine, and so uh, Q bitch slaps Picard. That was pretty amusing. Yeah, and poor Picard has a bloodied nose, Bob. It was kind of it was it was kind of sad and kind of gross at the same time. What did you? But uh, what do you think is wrong with Q? What are they going for here? Are they trying to say he's got some disease or something, or he's like? The timelines yeah, messed him up. Yeah, I can't, I can't. Yeah, I can't tell if this is like just them like writing Q badly, or if they're trying to foreshadow that yeah something is wrong with him that he wants Picard's help with. And so that may explain a lot of these like dialogue choices. I don't know. It just seemed like there's something weird going on there, and uh, I don't know. Well, I thought they were supposed to have healed Picard's like super advanced Alzheimer's last season. Yeah. <laughs> No, he still seemed like he had it, it seems. He's got that synth yeah. synthetic robot body. Yeah. Uh, but we get, a, we get a good view of what the uh, living in the Confederation looks like after this. Um, apparently, synthetic slaves, Romulan slaves, are, are common during this timeline. Yeah, great uh, stuff. Great stuff. Um, <laughs> great I mean, by great, I mean, like, you know, like, terrible. Uh, uh, <laughs> <it's> very <laughs> Bob, you sound like you're condoning slavery, but uh, we'll just we'll just let that one go. 
Did you catch on that the synthetic slaves are just designated by numbers? They don't have names like, uh, you know, lore and data and. Yeah, but de- but doesn't that that does seem to generally be true? But doesn't Picard call his like valet Harvey? Yeah. Okay, you're right. He did call him Harvey. I take that back then, because like one of them was like three two nine or some weird number. Well, I wonder if that's like maybe Picard, you know, as a slave master is like personalizes uh, the people he dominates more than others do. Maybe it's also supposed to be kind of like a dark reflection of like Picard's fondness for data in the in the prime timeline. Yeah, I mean, that make that that would make sense. I just saw where, where Harvey would come from, though. Is that some kind of uh, I can't think I mean, of the character. The, I, it might be a Jimmy Stewart reference. Are you familiar with that movie where he uh, plays a guy who imagines a giant uh, invisible rabbit named Harvey? No, but that, that makes it's sense. A, it's a great movie. It's it's huh. worth watching. It's called Harvey. Okay. Uh, but Q leads Picard around like his mansion or Chateau, Le, Chateau Le Picard or whatever. And we find out that in this universe that... Picard's been hunting species like it's nobody's business. And he's got all these yeah, skeletons. And he's got a very serial killer trophy type room. Yeah, it's, it's really gross. Uh, we've got Goldacott's skull, General Martok's skull, Director Sarek's skull, a Borg skull. There's a Ferengi skull. Yeah, I was, missed the Ferengi skull, but you yeah, saw that. It was insane. Like, it Did was, that suit of armor in the trophy room look like anything to you, Matt? No, no, it didn't look like anything to me. I figured it was like Borg related, though. It could be. It, to me, it really looked like the robot from the latest uh, reboot of Lost in Space. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not familiar with that, but it, I couldn't. I wanted to say it was Borg, but I don't know. It, it just yeah. looked generic. It kinda kinda. Gave, this trophy room also kind of gave me um, vibes of. Uh, Mirror Universe Lorca's uh, kind of mad laboratory in season one of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it was really a shame that if there was a Gorn skull, I didn't notice it. There should have been a Gorn skull. That would have been great. So, you know, we find out this is a confederacy now. So everything has its own little, like, spin to it, of course. Yeah, they call it Confederation, but clearly the, you know, the Confederacy of the, you know, the U.S. Civil War is the clear reference. Right, and we have, like, the ships are named different things, and... Yeah, World Razor, I actually thought was a pretty dope name. That's a that's a good evil ship name, the CSS That is a fantastic name. Yeah, like, that's, like, a, what I want to, like, name my ship in, like, Star Trek Online or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, badass name. And I, I guess it's where it's a it's a very small point, but I believe that that prefix CSS is actually what ships in the U.S. Confederacy called. You know, that was the prefix. Right. For yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So another question I had about Q references, Matt. Did Q ever make like Shakespeare references? I, I don't think he ever did. I don't think so. I don't remember that. Yeah, I'm... it doesn't seem like quite right. Um. He brings up Macbeth, which, I mean, I love Macbeth, especially when people uh, get their Macbeth uh, references right, unlike Beast in the episode of X-Men we're going to cover today. But um, it was just, yeah, it was just very strange. Like like with Q being meta, it just felt very wrong. Right. And then, um, you know, as, as the show progresses, we, Seven of Nine wakes up at one point, and she is missing all of her Borg implants type stuff 
Okay. Yep. And she wakes up to what does she wake up to, Bob? Uh, it's Chopin. He's a famous European composer from the late 19th century, and so a lot of a lot of high culture references this episode. Uh, Picard mentions Dante. Q mentions Shakespeare. Seven's listening to Chopin. Yeah, a lot of. The, but she goes. She looks in the mirror and she's like, "Oh, I'm missing my missing. Where's my Borg stuff? What's going on here?" And very quickly realizes that she is the president of the confeder of the confederation and is married to a short guy who's called the magistrate whose name we never get i don't believe right yeah he's he's about my height five six he's (laughs) was this aspirational for you matt that yeah i was like yes you two can marry uh, Jerry Ryan and become the uh, the co-dictator of a, a fascist government. <laughs> yes, um, I was looking forward to it. Um, there's this whole thing where she's supposed to be giving the speech that day because it's the... Uh, extinction day? What, or ex- extermination day? Extermination day, yes. All right, and... Which I assume is the inversion of first contact day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, you know what? You're right. I didn't catch on to that, but you're right. That I guess it could also be for. the it could also be the inversion of Captain Picard Day. Right, that would be weird too. <laughs> so apparently, all the but we find out that was all the characters that were on the Stargazer, all the main characters at least, shifted to this universe. Yeah. So Rios is out. Rios is out on a mission um, in the La Serena. Musketeer and Elnor are in Okinawa in the midst of a kind of alien uprising. Dr. Girardi is in a lab. Um, am I forgetting anyone? That's everybody, yeah. You got everybody. So it, it seems like Soji did not get transported to the to the alternate future, I guess because she wasn't on the Stargazer. She gets left with the Deltons. And then are, are there any other characters we're missing? The, but the weird thing is that the others were on... Musiker and Elrond were both Elnor. on the... Uh, Elnor, God, Elnor were both on the uh, Excelsior. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were in the fleet, but not on the Stargazer. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, they had to get all the characters together somehow. You did, uh, you did get your General Cisco reference, which I, you've been predicting a Cisco appearance on this season for some time. Any thoughts on the General Cisco reference? Yeah, there better be some payoff to this because that was not a nice tease if he does not show up in the season. So. I'll just go ahead and say it. Fuck you, writers, if he doesn't show up. I'll just go ahead and give a preliminary <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> All right. Did you have any any, any thoughts about uh, Rios, uh, his his role in the uh, this new future? I mean, he's just like killer captain kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Mad and dog. I, this is like a very minor <laughs> point, but I just wanted to note that there's something like vaguely sexual about how he moves his right hand when he's flying his ship. And I think that that's consistent across the prime timeline and the altered timeline. So, you know, it's uh, it's just something I noticed. Yeah, it's the controls are transparent. So I think it just looks that way because you don't see him actually touching any buttons. So not to give your hopes up, but yeah, yeah it, it is sexual looking, but I think it's also just kind of weird <laughs> because there's nothing that he's like, so you just see anybody moving their fingers like that's going to look sexual. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so we, we mentioned that uh, Musiker and Elnor are in Okinawa, which seems to be like this sort of like sanctuary district or like internment zone for aliens. 
And, um, you know, we see a skyscraper get brought down uh, by the alien rebels in Okinawa, which honestly, while I was watching, I kind of got big like 9-11 controlled demolition, controlled demolition theory vibes off that. Um, so did you share my vibes or have any thoughts about a 9-11 in the media map? Yeah, let me just say this, Bob, and this, this is something I don't think I've ever said before, but uh, I kind of want to get off my chest. Uh, is it confession and, time, Matt? Yeah, movies and video games made me so tolerant to terrorism and violence that when 9-11 happened, I think we were like freshmen in high school maybe, and I just I had this attitude. Yeah, I just had this attitude of like, so what? Because I was so used to like seeing buildings crumbling on film that I just thought that was like a normal occurrence in places. <laughs> and I, I shouldn't laugh about it, but it's just like I, it. My brain now when I see buildings collapse like collapse like the one on Picard, I, it does trigger memories of 9/11. It's just surreal how like our brains can be programmed and conditioned in such a manner. Seeing so much violence and stuff early on in my life, like and it wasn't. It was primarily just movies and video games and media and stuff like that that just. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but now when I look back, I'm like, damn, that was like a big, that was a huge deal. And, uh, you know, now when I do see buildings collapsing or something like this, it does, it triggers 9-11. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because it's been like widely noted how much American action movies have like replayed 9-11 since it happened. And so like the entire superhero movie genre is basically just an excuse to redo 9-11 on an epic scale over and over again. Um, But what's also sometimes not as well remembered is that like in the 90s, there was an awful lot of like um, movies that were really anticipating 9-11, especially like in Destruction, like Waged Against New York. Right. Um, And you can see this in movies like The Siege, in movies like The American Godzilla from 98. And, you know, like there are some people who would go so far as to say it's almost like we were wishing it upon ourselves. Yeah. Um, It's it's very strange, like that role that kind of spectacular violence has in popular imagination. Yeah, it's it's awful. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that we never have to experience anything like 9-11 again here on U.S. soil. But I I just know that the the kids today – are going to be way worse than like when I was that age because <laughs> they've seen so much more at this point. Like it's, just, it's just common. Like you, they, they would think the exact same way that I did yeah, back well, then. And I mean, there's also the, the, uh, very sad irony that we, in order to, uh, try to prevent, uh, other nine 11s, we've killed, uh, at least a hundred, probably more like a thousand times more people in other countries than were killed in 9-11 so you know not 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 great stuff not yeah it's stuff. it's super sad so let's let's move on more to picard bob because i don't, I don't want to so in the okinawa section it was pretty charming how maternal uh musikir is toward eleanor uh yeah i enjoyed that yeah i got these uh those motherly vibes but eleanor's dialogue was just kind of blah throughout this episode like i don't there know any examples i didn't did, that didn't really register for, for it, me it was like a... right. it just didn't register <laughs> I don't know if it was, I think it was the actor, the way he was just coming off. Maybe it's because he's, is he, he's Romulan and is he part, he's all, he's part Romulan, part human, right? Or no, he's just oh, all Romulan. Man. I, I thought he was all Romulan, but he's an adherent to that weird Romulan sect where he can't lie. Okay. 
I, which right. I think is partly responsible for why he has such a somewhat weird affect. That's what it is. Okay. See, I I don't remember enough. Like, I watched all of season one, but I think like I said in the last episode, I feel like there was this huge, like, span between season one and season two that I just forgot a lot of stuff. And it feels like that's something I probably need to do. I think that's why his dialogue is delivered that way. You're you're right. Yeah. And that's pretty much so. what I'm pointing out. Well, and so Matt, we just had a we just had a very, you know, important conversation about politics, popular memory, terrorism, uh, you know, US imperial violence. But uh, I, I do really wanna point out what I think is the most important political criticism of this show. It's like very important to me and I want you to take it seriously. And that is uh, I really, really uh, don't appreciate this show's anti coffee bias. Um, apparently we're supposed to uh, just, you know, know that Picard, uh, is a fascist because he likes his, uh, coffee black. And, uh, you know, I, uh, as somebody who drinks black coffee and is not a fascist, I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I don't drink coffee, Bob, but teach his own. You, coffee's... Uh, that's, that's because you and Picard are weak, Matt. You're weak. I mean, I don't drink, I drink sweet tea. I don't, I would not drink what Picard usually drinks, the uh, Earl Grey or whatever. I was kind of gonna hope you were gonna say you didn't drink ca- you didn't drink caffeinated beverages, and then I would get to make a joke about your Mormon heritage. <laughs> I, I drink caffeinated. I drink. I know. I know. And, and I am not well, Mormon, Bob. I'm far from. I mean, that's like a. I, I said. Know. I said heritage. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't say Mormon. identity. I didn't say beliefs. I didn't say practices. I say heritage. Yeah. I mean, um, and, you know, we're both, we're both getting old, Matt. You know, we're both putting on weight. You're losing hair. Like, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to give up the caffeinated beverages. Yeah, it's it's true, but you know, you got to have that that caffeine. That's what yeah, I mean. You yeah, get caffeine from coffee. You, you're not going to give up coffee. Oh hell no! Need to yeah, <laughs> like hold that hands. So fuck you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up Dr Pepper. You're not going to give up coffee. We'll be drinking it. When we're like eighty, or probably sixty if we keep drinking it. <laughs> Have you ever tried seltzer? Uh, yes, I didn't. I did not like it. See, it was a revelation to me because I realized that it. Well, I didn't. I thought I drank Dr Pepper for the caffeine and the sugar, but really, I just drank it for the carbonation. Have you ever? And, yeah, I was introduced to seltzer when I was in Russia uh, because that's like all they have there is uh, water with gas, is what they call it. And nice. It was. Uh, yeah, I, did, I, I could not get used to it. Yeah, yeah. I really want to make a joke about you being in Russia, but I'm actually so depressed by all the... Like, the <laughs> cas- There's so much, like, casual, like, anti-Russian racism among liberals right now. Like, yeah. Russophobia, I guess would be the term that I, I, I just... I can't commit to the bit. It's so depressing right now. Yeah. Well, I was watching the, the news last night with my wife, and I was they were showing shots of Moscow, and I was like... God, that is such a beautiful city. Like, I mean, it is the most beautiful city in the world. It's it's beautiful. I loved every second I was there. Uh, but it, it it is like the home of like scariness. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, like I've been to the it, Kremlin and stuff, and like I mean, I just know like it's just there's just so much history there, and so much more. Uh, there, there's just a I, I, lot to it. I would argue that while a lot of evil has happened in the Kremlin, a comparable amount of evil in a much shorter amount of time has happened in the Pentagon. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, there's, we're all humans. There, but Russia's history is like insane. Like how you know, just 
you can you can just fill the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like thousands of years, I should say, thousands of years of just history in the in the city. And I just I, I hate to think that something terrible is going to like destroy all of that history. And I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody. I I, I really wish they just stop and go back to what yeah, they were doing. Well. Hopefully they'll <laughs> hopefully they'll negotiate a ceasefire in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. It doesn't look likely, but hopefully um, hopefully the the U.S. or Russia or Ukraine will budge slightly and they'll just negotiate a ceasefire. Like I feel terrible for the Ukrainian people who who have died. I feel terrible for the Russian people that have died, and I just wish we would stay out of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> well. You're smarter than most American liberals, Matt, who want to uh, literally start a nuclear World War Three. Uh, no, I, I do not want that to ever happen. That's just awful. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'll watch it on TV, but no, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'll watch it like on a show, fictitious, yeah. but not, <laughs> not real life. Yeah, no, nobody wins a nuclear war, which it's insane that you keep having to say that decades after the end of the Cold War. But nobody wins a nuclear war; we all lose. Damn, Bob, we just keep going off on these like little like sad tangents. We nine eleven, the war. Let's, let's let's talk about something yeah. else, Bob. Let's talk about this cat. Yeah. So before you ask, Matt, uh, I I did like Girardi's cat avatar named Spot seventy three. Uh, he was cute and surly. Apparently voiced by Pat Oswald, which I didn't notice. I didn't catch on to that either until I looked it up. And I was like, oh, that was Pat Oswald. <laughs> That's random. Yeah. But. <laughs> And then uh, speaking of things that were charming, I really did enjoy uh, Picard uh, taking pleasure in telling uh, Musiker that Seven is the president. That really charmed me. Yeah, there was, it, it, so it was alluded to in season one that Musiker and Seven are like a couple, right? Yeah, I don't know if it was alluded to so much as like at the, if I'm remembering right, just at the end of the season one finale, like we see them together in like an intimate moment holding hands that like clearly suggest they're a couple, but I, do, I don't think much was ever said about it. Okay. I just couldn't remember if it was ever like truly established that they were, but I, I think that's why Musiker has that snarky reaction to seven having a husband. Yeah. I think that, that is, was, yeah. that is, I think it is, I think it is kind of a weird thing where it's like, they're being, they're being more explicit than they were like, than like say Babylon five was about like the Ivanova winter uh, relationship. Right. But at the same time, they're still be, they're still really dancing around the point. And I could imagine if like I tweet a meme about this, I'm going to have like five chuds who, uh, you know, have absolutely like round faces in their avatars arguing about, no, no, there's absolutely no relationship there. What, what, what you're just making this up because you want to see gayness everywhere. And it's sad. It's like what twenty seven years since that Babylon Five episode. <laughs> like we're still like this is as far as we've gotten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's just weird that you do, like like you can't just do it like just a matter of fact depiction, not like salacious. It doesn't have to be explicit. Just like a matter of fact acknowledgement. Although I guess there was a little bit of mention in the first episode where Picard was talking to Musiker about Seven. And you got the implication that it's like, you know, they've had they've had this relationship, but Seven won't settle down. So, you know, she she's got to be restless out there on the edge of the frontier, sort of stuff. So, I guess yeah. that was another dimension that we should add to. That probably makes sense. That that's probably another yeah. That's another reason for the way she reacted. That makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, Matt. So w- big question time. Uh, who is this watcher? Is it a uh, Guinan, the Traveler, General Cisco, Wesley, the inevitable merging of the Trek and Marvel universes? It's CGI Gene Roddenberry, Bob. He's the watcher. Why, why not? Why not just go with the Great Bird of the Galaxy? Full stop. Why? Why? Why just settle for CGI Gene Roddenberry? Uh, it's either CGI Gene Roddenberry, Bob, or guess what? You are the watcher. Oh no! Oh oh no! That would fit. Oh no! You're right. That would fit in with the Q meta. Oh my god! Oh oh, oh oh Matt, I I think I'm gonna kill myself live on the podcast. Oh my god! It all makes sense now. This is why I don't keep a gun in a in the house, Mike. Oh my god! Jesus fucking Christ! Hey, I mean, we may just find Picard like a. Meeting Patrick Stewart in some episode. So what you're saying is that really Star Trek Picard was a spinoff of extras the entire time? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's going to be great, Bob. Christ. That's the watcher. I don't, I don't know if I can continue, but I guess we, we have to. Uh, Yeah. It all, it all comes full circle now. That makes a lot more sense. Oh my God. Damn. If, if we just, cr- if you just cracked it, my God, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. But your other, your other options, uh, I don't think it's Guinan. I don't think it's. I hope it's not the Traveler. I can't stand the Traveler. The Traveler is the worst. Uh, I don't know why Cisco would be the Watcher. I don't know what that doesn't make any. I mean, he. I is... mean, it's a promotion from the emissary. You know, like he was Captain Cisco. Now he's General <laughs> Cisco. He was the emissary. Now he's the Watcher. That's how that works. And then Wesley would be the stupidest thing they could possibly do. So, uh, can you think of it? Can you think of other options? Not really. No. I mean, in a minute we're going to talk about the Borg Queen more, but I, I want to point out a theory that some people have mentioned that uh, this could be Q putting the Borg Queen on trial. That so, when looking in that like, direction, that that's interesting, but I. I don't think it's a good idea, and I don't think they would do it. So maybe there's like a Borg, a Borg B or something that's the Watcher, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's some, Super maybe it's Borg. some like Borg role or something. What if it's Captain Kirk, Bob? <laughs> what if? Oh, I mean, that would if, be so much better than it being the viewer, Matt. What if Will Shat William Shatner comes back <laughs> and he's the Watcher? Jean I can't Luke, even say that. I can't even say that. I've laughing. been watching you for so long. Yeah, <laughs> Jean Luc, how did you get Star Trek Picard? Yet Star Trek Kirk is not even in pre-production. <laughs> yeah. That, oh God. Don't don't put on Disney's heads. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, talking about like uh, American movies, like laying the groundwork in movies for 9-11 and the popular imagination. We were, just, we were just putting such bad vibes out there in the universe <laughs> of the speculation. It's really, uh, really, really evil, and we should not do it. Jesus. Getting back to the plot line, eventually they find out that uh, the Borg Queen is who is going to be uh, executed by, by Picard at this uh, ceremony or whatever, and... Uh, the Borg Queen is is broken. Uh, she's got these like she doesn't seem to like function correctly. Uh, yeah, apparently she's sensitive to changes in the timeline. 
Yeah, she's completely cut off from the hive, but she still recognizes... I was a little confused. Did she say that she thought Gerardi had... Was a Borg at some point or something? I thought she was just talking about Seven. Okay. I don't... It seemed like she was looking at Gerardi, though. I don't know. Maybe that was just part of the mess up. It was weird. You assume that, like, um, the alternate universe... Or not... Sorry. Alternate timeline Gerardi has been, like you know, prodding her and examining her, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so, so that she's okay. That I mean, that sense. there maybe there's something more to it, but that would be my, like, that would what be my default explanation. Once all the cat, once the whole cast gets back together into the same room, they discuss the, the, the plan, which is to time travel using Rios' ship. And they mentioned several different ways to time travel. Uh, one of them being the slingshot method they used in Star Trek four, but you need a Spock to do the calculations. And yeah. they also, they use the slingshot method in a, an early original series episode two. It's, I forget the name, but it's the one where they, they get the air force pilot. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going, the, the plan is for them to time travel back in time to figure out what caused all this. And there's some teleporter issues, antics and, since Picard has to act like he's still part of this universe or whatever, he goes up on the stage in front of all these people to execute the Borg Queen with Jerry Ryan giving us with a seven giving a speech. And she goes by Annika here, correct? Yeah, that's her real name. That's her real name, yeah. Okay. So you know, Annika's giving her speech and then Picard he he does this thing like where he's trying to get the crowd pumped because he's trying to spare time, like he's trying to waste time until they can get the transporter issue figured out. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about that, Bob? Uh, it was a pretty great expression, pretty funny, and uh, like you said, it was totally like uh, like the Trump mannerisms where he's kind of like looking kind of smugly at how like how much the crowd is into him yeah it's, a, it's big it's like patrick stewart doing a trump impersonation basically yeah. all i could think about while watching this is this is what trump will do if he's reelected and we somehow like capture putin or something like that like <laughs> picard had trump's mannerisms and that that stupid pulled back like shit-eating grin he does that was like it was so do you bad remember that, i forget the guy's name unfortunately but you remember when the the now it's like two ISIS heads ago when he was killed either by the U.S. military or by our proxies um, over there, and Trump got to announce it. I think it was Al Baghdadi was the it guy's was name. Ba- it was Baghdadi because they kept calling him Big Daddy or something. Like, it was some yeah, weird. Like... Uh, yeah, I think he, I think you actually pronounce it Al Baghdadi. Yeah, but Trump Trump was just like he died like a dog. Yeah, he just kept saying that over and over again. It was so weird. It was really so bad. Weird. But that, that's the impression that, that Picard puts on here. It, it was interesting just to see the crowd, though, too, like their reaction to what was going on. Apparently everybody in this is like all for this uh, mass public execution of the Borg Queen. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of into it. Um, yeah, it was an uh, interesting scene. Like you said, there is a little bit of like time killing to it. And it's also, although, like I said, I enjoyed that. I thought the complication with the transporters was handled about as well as it could be. But you kind of noted, like, with the time killing and also with, like, our cliffhanger of them appearing to get captured at the end of the episode, 
it's maybe a little bit of tedious because like we know from the previews we know from prior star trek episodes that like yeah okay they're going to time travel they're going to be back in la so it does feel a little bit like time wasty and a little bit kind of draggy and i i was prepared to compliment the show if it only spent um an episode in the dark uh alternate timeline and then like the end of the episode was them time traveling I think that would have been like a better pace for the. Yeah, episode. that would have made perfect sense for them to time travel at the end of this episode, and then we're going to open up the next episode in twenty twenty four. But yeah. no, we Although still we get this like, like we get this ahead. like standoff between them and uh, the uh, Seven's husband and some guards or whatever. We know no one's going to die. I mean, I think El 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 uh, Elnor El El was shot, right? He was, yeah. 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 And I, I think that's one thing that might happen, because from the previews, have we only seen Picard and Seven in, in L.A. in 2024, or did we see other people? I don't, I, I can't tell you. I know that. Because I, I suspect what'll happen is that, like, Picard and Seven and maybe one or two others, probably Girardi, probably to be, like, Picard, Seven, and Girardi make, make it to the 2024 but the rest are like stuck in the in the bad timeline and have to deal with it until it's fixed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a possibility. That could be interesting if they just kind of go back and forth between the two timelines maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But and knows. then uh I the last two things I wanted to say about the board queen. Uh I, I did find it kind of hilarious that so they need a Spock to do the calculations for the slingshot method and so they don't have a Spock but they do have a board queen. That that cracked me up. And then I also really did enjoy um, the board queen's kind of wry smile as Picard is like shooting uh, the security guards on stage when they're trying to break out and get transported. That was uh, that, those were both like really nice board queen moments. They're so much more trusting of the Borg in this uh, this particular season. <laughs> I, just don't, I don't know I mean, if I would ever I trust the Borg. I don't know if they're actually. Ch- trusting it's just that in this limited instance the borg have the same objectives that they do right but even rios is like you're not going to hook that thing up to my ship and they're like oh yeah we are (laughs) i mean but there's no like what's the alternative i don't know they can find like i don't know kill kill the borg queen and then live on the run in this weird (laughs) alternate universe for the rest of your life like that doesn't seem like the way to go I just, I just have a feeling, Bob. This, this trusting of the Borg Queen is going oh, to yeah, cause no, some she'll issues. De- she'll definitely betray them at some point. <laughs> but I think, like, the point here though is that you can trust her to get them back in time correctly because it's in her interest to do this too. Yeah. All yeah. right. So. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm, I'm skeptical that this show will like end its season in anything that's good or interesting but i'm really enjoying the ride so far i hope i continue to enjoy the ride yeah this is a i mean it, to me it's just a fun show i mean i, I I'm, I'm gonna watch it regardless of what happens but uh it's just like with season one i just i had i had to watch it i couldn't not do that um but apparently they've wrapped up filming for the entire series so season three's already been shot oh really yeah oh okay I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think it was uh, just to ensure Patrick Stewart could complete it. <laughs> I know yeah, that no, awful, no, but... no offense to Patrick Stewart, who I hope lives a long time yet, but that seems like probably a wise thing, huh? Maybe, maybe season two and season three will will be more connected uh, than season one and season two are, because that's been the. 
I, like I said, maybe I'll look like a fool when this show is over, but I, having watched season one, I, there's no way in my mind that it's actually going to be a satisfying, like, three-season arc. I just don't believe that. No, there's no way. Unless they pull some major stuff towards the middle of this season, there's no way to connect everything in a way that makes it seem like they had it planned out from the start. Yeah, yeah. Well, good stuff, good stuff. And I, I don't think I, I stressed it enough this episode, but this, apart from Lower Decks, this is my favorite cast of new Star Trek. Actually, it might even be. I think I might even prefer this cast to the Lower Decks. I just think Lower Decks is a better show overall. So I, I do like this show. It's a good cast. All right, so this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the Galaxy's Great podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. But this week we weren't talking about either. We were instead checking in on Picard Season 2, Episode 2. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are part of Uncanny Treks. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.